Do you need treatment or surgery? There's no need to wait or travel abroad. Receive treatment at Kingsbridge Private Hospital in Belfast or Ballykelly under the Northern Ireland Planned Healthcare Scheme at potentially no cost. Why wait? Text hello to 51777 or visit kingsbridgeprivatehospital.com for further information. It's time for Taking Care of Business on Midlands 183. With thanks to the local enterprise offices of Leash, Offaly and Westmeath. Find us on localenterprise.ie and let's talk business. Midlands 103. Hello and a very good evening. It's Tuesday the 1st of August. Not that you think it by the weather. I'm Ronan Berry and you're very welcome to Taking Care of Business here on Midlands 103. Cut up between now and 8 o'clock, Alexandria Kelly, a flower child in Ballachmoyler County Leash, will talk about her decision to go public about the challenges of balancing brain surgery with running your own business. It is an amazing story, an inspirational story coming up at around half past seven this evening. Also, as Accenture joined the growing list of large companies to announce significant layoffs, they're talking about up to 800 job losses in the coming months. What opportunities might that present for Midlands businesses? Well, Yasmin El Kershi from All Pro Recruitment will be along a bit later to explore that very idea. Because when you start factoring in companies like Meta, Salesforce, even LinkedIn, who have announced huge potential redundancies over the next while there, will that present opportunities for our very region? And of course, within all that, what opportunities will the will the region see as it tries and strives to continue to grow? If you want to join this evening's conversation, you can do so, as always, by text or WhatsApp is the most direct way to get me on 083 30 10 103. But to begin this evening, you may be aware that the All-Ireland Strategic Rail Review was announced earlier this week and released by the government. It culminates about 18 months' work into looking at the island as an entirety, both north and south, and looking at the possibilities that exist within our current railway infrastructure. It looked at things like decarbonisation, it looked at freight and many other aspects too. It looked deeply at what consumers would need, how con- consumer demand may be changing, how the current services or lack of services don't meet the consumer needs at this point in time. But in any case, it is an ambitious project. It's going to take up to 30 years to realise the full extent of it. It's going to cost many, many billions of euros. And although we hear lots of talk about these um, budget surpluses that we're going to have over the coming years, it'll only go a little way towards meeting the overall potential costs of this plan. But to look at it in a little bit more detail and try and see what it means for us here in the Midlands, I'm delighted to get the perspective of our four local chambers of commerce. So without further ado, I'm going to go straight across to Caroline Hoffman, the CEO of Leash Chamber Alliance. Caroline is in studio with me now. A very good evening, Caroline. I suppose to begin the the strategic plan that was announced this week, how has it been received in County Leash? Good evening, Ronan. So certain elements are very much welcomed. Um, it's positive to see a proposed €20 billion Euro boost to the island's economy, increasing our international connectivity and economic competitiveness. But elements of it are perhaps unrealistic. Um, the capital costs are forecasted at 37 billion, and that's current figures. That's without bringing into the picture Metrolink or the Dart Plus programme. There are very positive elements in terms of improving connectivity, rail freight. Um, for example, the review shows our lease stations being um, Ballybrophy, Port Arlington, Port Leash, all being located on a future core freight route, uh, which will connect Cork and Dublin ports. So this is very much um, welcomed and, and positive, particularly as we're looking to decarbonise and meet our 2030 and 2050 targets. You really, uh, it, it is a long-term project, um, but there are elements as well that are, you know, 
potentially feasible in the short term. Um, so definitely the decarbonisation element, looking at electrification, increasing the frequency of services um, and introducing higher speed rail is, is very important. Anthony Hanafy, the president of Tullamore Chamber, also joins me in studio now. Anthony, good evening. Uh, again, similar question as with Caroline. How has it been received locally with your members? Um, I suppose it's it's a very ambitious plan and it's it's broadly welcomed. And I suppose for that, the minister must be congratulated on, on the scale of the plan. Now, I suppose the other thing is, will it ever be delivered is the, is the next point. Um, uh, going into the good figures, uh, 37 billion uh, over the next um, t- uh, 30, 30 years, 37 years. So it's about a billion a year. Um, 23 billion from the Irish government, 14 billion from Stormont, and uh, 25 years to deliver. Um, I suppose the, the main thing we'd look at and say is, you know, um, we need to deliver some of it quicker. You know, I mean, there's there's me- small, short term, medium term, and long term, and um, they haven't really been uh, really been um, a, a more d- a detail put to them. So we need to we need to see something for that this generation is going to basically be, be able to. Uh, work with um, that's the main thing from us um, there's some very good points there it's great opportunities for the Midlands I know your own chamber have over the certainly behind the scenes you've lobbied quite a lot over the last maybe decade too and submitting plans and proposals and you know if there was an, an application open there to, to get your views across do you feel they're being met with what's been announced? Uh, largely yeah I suppose if I if I highlight a few items on it um, the electrification of the line from uh, Galway to, to Dublin um, to, to include Athlone, uh, Tullamore, Port Harrington and Port Leash on the Cork line. Uh, dual four-track electric line, Athlone to Tullamore. So there's some really good things uh, for, for the Midlands there. Um, hopefully, I say, it is delivered. Yeah, that's it, I suppose. I mean, if we think of the backdrop of, like, the one that really jumps to mind in a minute is the, the National Children's Hospital. And mm-hmm. I was reading a piece in the paper about where that budget is likely to go, and it is quite staggering that a project mm-hmm. could be let maybe go or, or get to that level of cost without even delivering you know a portion of it just yet we'll come back to that a little bit later across the Mullingar now to uh, John Gagan from Mullingar Chamber John reaction on the ground over in Westmeath to this Ronan yeah thanks for having me on um, look we're delighted to see the report come out finally uh, there's a lot of work gone into it I thought it was very well prepared and presented and uh, there's some brilliant data in it you know and and um, one of the one of the jumping out points to me is that like we have 40 million people 40 million journeys a year taken on trains um, which generates about 280 million turnover for Air Road Air. So they're only averaging seven euros per journey per ticket, which in my view would be one of the lowest rates in Europe for rail travel. But that probably reflects an outrageously badly run railway infrastructure in Ireland, including the line from Mullingar to Dublin and back to Sligo. If you take, for example, the train here is the same speed in 2023 as it was 100 years ago. You know That just doesn't stack up as good management or good development over the last 100 years. When you can travel across the UK on any train you want at 100 miles an hour, here we're travelling at an average speed of 50. So I think it's caught well in the report that we have to increase the speeds of trains and the frequency of travel. And also that, to go is that yeah. potentially a, a large maybe basis in terms of the cost too? Because in the UK, it would be widely known that the travel fares from trains are a hell of a lot higher than they are in, in, in Ireland. Exactly. And this is the thing. I mean, if you look at Aaron O'Neill's accounts there, they have a balance sheet with about two billion quid's worth of assets in it. Whereas this looks like a 37 billion euro transformation. So it's really 15 times the size of the company. It's, 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 it's way beyond their capacity, in my view, as a company. I think the government needs to take this issue seriously and appoint some proper operators onto the board of Aaron O'Neill, uh, the transformational leaders 
who could possibly frame this in a logical manner and ensure that the budget doesn't go from 38 billion to 76 billion. That is going to be a challenge too. Does it meet the needs of Mullingar? I think if it happens, it does. And I think the big opportunity in it is that if you don't do everything in the report, if you do, let's say, the intercity connectors, it'll do enormous improvement for the, for the main routes and it'll allow the, the country to really develop regional development. And like the Mullingar, Tullamore, Longford, Athlone, those towns should double in population over the next 10, 20 years. When you look at the abundance of green land around those towns and there's no land up around Dublin and we have a housing crisis. So it's it's a perfect time for this thing, but it's an emergency. This, this shouldn't be hanging around on a shelf for like five years while they make up their mind who's going to do what, in my view. Absolutely, yeah. It seems to be a view reflected by the other participants here this evening. I'm going to just jump across now to Athlone as well. Um, earlier I spoke to Tommy Hogan. Tommy can't be with us this evening uh, live, but I caught him just before I came on air and Tommy is the CEO of Athlone Chamber and I began by asking Tommy had they, you know, had Tommy to review the plan in the days that came out and what were the main points from an at-loan chamber perspective. Hi Ronan, yeah, uh, we have had a chance to look at the report and at-loan chamber is very supportive of the plan and we're happy especially to see the proposed dual tracking from Port Arlington to Gobe which will be passing through at-loan. The proposed increase in service level is also to be welcomed as is the linking of the airports to the rail network uh, which is long overdue. Um, and the plan projects 90% of the population to be able to access the airport from the rail network. And we think that's a very positive development. From an at-loan perspective then, you said that that linkage between maybe the Dublin-Galway lines as well will be, will be huge as well as linking to the airport. Do you think even that, say from locally here in the Midlands, are like the large multinationals, will they appreciate, do you think, greater connectivity to our airports in particular? Oh, I definitely think so. One of the big benefits of this proposal would be that it will allow for a more geographically balanced economic growth uh, with, with faster transit times and more frequent services between cities and regions. We can move away from a Dublin-focused economic growth model. I think the foreign the FDI companies based here in Atlanta would be very supportive of that. It would be a positive development in their eyes, for sure. Yeah, one thing that people are pointing out is, you know, to bear in mind that this is based on this report, a 25-year strategy as well. There's some kind of almost low-hanging fruit that can be done over the next couple of years, but large parts of this might be delivered, you know, for for two decades or more as well. Within all that then, are there any parts of the strategy that maybe are particularly red flags for for you in that loan? We'd be concerned that given the sheer scale of the plan, that there's lots of rooms for delay and cost overruns. And it's even mentioned in the report that there's further feasibility and environmental impact studies to be done. And we'd be concerned that these have the potential to cause delays and add costs. And I believe we as chambers need to make sure that our TDs and ministers are encouraged to deliver the plan on time and on budget. Absolutely. I mean, there's been a, a lot of precedents here, both on private development and indeed, you know, infrastructural developments too, in terms of objections and particularly in the planning system as well. One would hope and expect that maybe those kind of things can be earned over before, you know, a lot of money is committed to this as well. Anything else that jumps out at yeah. you as being a potential source of concern? Um, no, I think those would be the, I mean, given the sheer scale of it and, and the time duration of it, it's, it's difficult to pinpoint one particular thing. But um, we do think there's a lot of positives to be taken from the whole proposal as well. That's Tommy Hogan there, the CEO of Athlone Chamber. Uh, Anthony and Caroline, back to that point that Tommy made around connectivity and particularly maybe changing the focus from a Dublin-focused economic development model. Do we see that as being a potential outcome of this? Like, will it make a difference? Because for a long time we've known that this kind of uh, policy almost of developing the east coast of the country, really around Dublin, was unsustainable. The last couple of years have proven that. Do you think will this offer opportunities, genuine opportunities in that regard? 
I think it will, um, particularly with the, the most recent government formation, we saw, saw a shift towards balanced regional development. And that's a key aspect of uh, government policy. So this is very much a key part of the review that was published last week as well. Um, if you look to Denmark as an example, they were in the same position as Ireland a number of years ago. And they share a number of similarities with Ireland in that similar population size. Um, the majority of the economic development was focused on the east of the island. Um, and then they commissioned a review similar to, to what was published. Um, and now they're, they're really top class infrastructure um, and they're seen as, as a gold standard in terms of rail infrastructure. So we could potentially achieve that. We're a long way away in terms of electrification. Um, we're, you know, bottom of the table at an EU level. Um, Switzerland is top of the table in Europe. Um, at an EU level, Luxembourg has 91% electrification. So there's definitely an element there um, of, of us benefiting from that um, towards meeting our decarbonisation goals and potentially looking at things like biodiesel as well to achieve those targets in the short term. Because in the long term, you know, 30 years down the line, it's going to be too late with certain elements. We're very fortunate in Leash that we do have three very well-serviced train stations but the increased frequency, perhaps looking at earlier and later services will encourage people to reduce their car journeys and use more transport. And there needs to be a cost benefit analysis as well. You know, looking at reopening um, the Melick to Port Leash line is never going to happen. A bus could potentially fill that gap, an electric bus. So it needs to be in tandem um, with other public transport strategies, I think. Anthony, from a Tullamore perspective, do you think will it help maybe shift the balance a little bit or do you take some of the pressure off the capital? I think so, Ronan. I suppose me and you have chatted many times before about this and if we said before if Ireland was an island, it would have toppled over a long time ago. <laughs> or, sorry, if Ireland was a boat, it would have toppled over a long time ago. Um, yeah, I, I look, I think I think this is a, this is very welcome and uh, I agree there with what Caroline said as well. Um, I suppose, look, we have to start somewhere on this and uh, it is a it is a very ambitious plan, uh, but it is about actually delivering it now. And there is, you know, we can't wait around for 30, 40 years to deliver it because uh, things will change at that stage and it won't be fit for purpose at that, at that time. Um, we need we need to get going now quick. And, um, you know, that's that's our, our say on it. John and Mullingar, would you agree with the points that Caroline and Anthony have made? Absolutely, I would like, and I think it's never been more important to towns work together. Like of Mullingar, Tullamore, Athlone, Longford. You know, if if we're all we all suffer from the exact same issues as such, and, and we're all in the exact same situation here. And thankfully, we're all located on existing rail infrastructure, so it's the cheapest thing possible to deliver. I suppose one of the crazy things I saw jumping out was someone drew a dotted line from Mullingar up to Port Down through Armagh, Monaghan, and Clonas and Cavan to build a new railway line. I can think of nothing more crazy than to service that that rural area with a railway line at a cost of several billion euros, whereas the money could be far better spent elsewhere focused on the infrastructure we have. But it would flag one thing as well. Like, we don't have a great reputation or track record here in delivering projects like this. Ireland isn't really the class leader as such. And I think that the CPO legislation needs to be looked at because if the Irish Railway need to buy or take over more land alongside the existing lines, to double up what you already have, that needs to be supported at a national level and, and implemented across the country. 
Yeah, one can potentially foresee lots of, of issues there. John, and thanks for that. Remember, we're going to take a short break now. After that, when we come back, uh, both John, Caroline and Anthony will stay with us on the lines. We'll, we'll look at some other sections of this new strategic rail review a little bit in more detail too, and particularly look at what it might do from the point of view of tourism, but also from freight, because the way goods move around this island is also a crucial part of this plan. So when we come back after the break, Aidan Flynn, the General Manager of the Freight Transport Association, will join me for a few minutes just to give their reaction to the plan as announced earlier this week. Don't go anywhere. Talk to you very shortly. Taking care of business with thanks to the local enterprise offices of Leash, Offaly and Westmead. Find us on localenterprise.ie and let's talk business. On taking care of business this evening we're looking at the All-Island Rail Review, the reports of which were announced or released earlier this week. I'm joined by Caroline Hoffman from Leash Chamber Alliance, Anthony Hannafy from Tullamore Chamber and John Gagan from Mullingar Chamber too. And we've looked at it from the point of view of kind of just an overview of how each region was responding to the plan, where they saw potential challenges in it. So we're going to dig a little deeper into some areas of that plan very, very shortly. But before that, I'm delighted to be joined on the phone by Aidan Flynn. And Aidan is a general manager with the Freight Transport Association because freight pays in ma- plays a major part in this review too. Indeed, the way goods currently are moved around the country versus the way they can be. And if we think of, the kind of some of those main headings in this report around decarbonisation, uh, their movement of freight and regional rural development, being just to get the FDA's perspective on it. A very good evening, Aidan, and welcome to Taking Care of Business. Uh, good evening, Ronan. Thank you. Aidan, from a freight perspective, how have you uh, found the re- review report that was released this week? Well, I suppose at the outset, it's important to say that we welcome the report because it's great to get the conversation going and get a focus on uh, rail and develop a strategy for it. I think from a freight perspective, it was interesting in the report that the word freight was used 137 times. Uh, so there was a significant uh, focus on freight, albeit uh, with very little detail in, in terms of what um, uh, a review and uh, re-evaluation of, of current freight services would look like into the future and I suppose from our perspective um, you know, we, we want to highlight uh, the importance of uh, not over-promising and under-delivering and certainly uh, when, when we look at the, the rail solution in Ireland uh, one of our recommendations of course would be to, to look at uh, the improvements in rail services particularly from a passenger perspective because uh, getting people off the roads uh, certainly in, in terms of urban settings, settings would uh, alleviate traffic congestion, uh, improve opportunities for more efficient uh, freight uh, service deliveries, uh, both on a, on a national um, and urban uh, setting, which, which is very important to us in terms of driving efficiencies and thus uh, supporting decarbonisation. The other thing, of course, is the pragmatic uh, issue in relation to uh, certain items that that were identified uh, within within the document itself, and not notwithstanding uh, the financial and economic consequences of delivering uh, state-of-the-art solutions, but I think the reality is is that uh, it has uh, suffered from underinvestment, which which is certainly uh, evident now in terms of the costs associated with trying to up, upgrade uh, rail services. Indeed, um, but the other thing from a freight perspective that we need to be conscious of is that we're, we're we're kind of diligent uh, Europeans in, in terms of looking at uh, the European transport policy, which supports and, and in, indeed 
uh, incentivizes uh, intermodal uh, distribution op- op- options. But unfortunately, Ireland as an island on the periphery of Europe ha- has very many different types of challenges that are there uh, compared to mainland Europe. Um, we have a very limited 10T network, which is the core uh, uh, corridors around Europe that are focused for, for uh, investment, which uh, the likes of the rail corridors would, would be looking at for investment. Uh, we, we have three um, tier one ports in terms of Dublin, uh, Cork and, and Shannon Foynes. Uh, which are required to maintain the status to have good rail connectivity and so on and investment in rail infrastructure there. But but the reality is Ireland has, uh, you know, a limited population, albeit it's going to grow by over a million. Um, uh, the uh, uh, population densities is such that uh, in terms of rail freight, it doesn't easily, this European policy doesn't easily transpose itself uh, to Ireland, from Ireland's, into Ireland's perspective. Um, and thus it makes it unviable because you need at least 300 kilometres uh, for rail freight to work. Um, you know, it, it, it only works for, for goods that are bulk or, or liquids that are non-time sensitive. Over 80% of the goods that are moved on, on roads in Ireland are, are time, time sensitive. And rail can't compete with that. And of course, um, you know, this this is all at the time uh, where the investment over 25 or 30 years into rail freight will see uh, road uh, distribution uh, decarbonise. Um, so as a, as a competitive force, rail freight, I'm afraid, you know, has very limited uh, opportunities in Ireland, albeit um, at such a low basis at the moment with less than 300,000 tonnes of freight moved and freight, yeah, there is from, potential from for own, it to grow. Yeah, from the FDS press release, you reckon that rail freight currently represents about 1% of all goods moved into Ireland and there's an ambitious target to achieve 5 to 10%. But given what you just said, if we take traffic off the roads, we deliver a better con- uh, commuter experience. And if you take in, factor in, say, decarbonising road freight as it stands, is it actually worth pursuing and trying to develop the freight industry then in a real perspective at all? Well, well, that's the point. We we, we would, well, you know, and I, of course, you know, the, the caveat about looking at more feasibility studies is there's significant costs of, of all of this to be done. But this, this rail strategy uh, doesn't certainly uh, look at uh, freight from a pure strategic perspective in relation to that, where, where it identifies areas of growth um, and where that investment is needed. Obviously, it, it kind of alludes to it in certain parts, parts of it. Uh, but to, to even increase, like when you look at over 155 million tonnes of goods has moved on, on Irish roads and that's versus 300 tonnes uh, at, currently at the moment. Um, so it is, it is uh, you know, it doesn't seem it's going to take a lot to, to double or the amount of freight uh, going on on, on, on rail on, uh, you know, into the future. Uh, but certainly we need a, a much more detailed uh, strategic review uh, to ensure that the investment is, is viable um, and it's workable for the industry as well as for uh, the rail service providers. Aidan Flynn, thank you so much for that this evening. Aidan is the General Manager of the Freight Transport Association. Uh, John Gagan, um, you've been listening to what Aidan was saying. From a Mullingar perspective, would you have looked at the freight sections of this report or would you deem it as being of strategic importance to a town like Mullingar? Yeah, it, it is of strategic importance too. I suppose we're that bit closer to Dublin really. We're, we're an hour away from the port, the port tunnel and the M50. So we're, we're, we'd still rely heavily in this town on, fre- on road freight. You know, there, there's a... Uh, and it's a long way away from, I think, resolving that. I mean, the big issue I see is the, the commuter traffic. We have about 2,000 people in the district who commute to Dublin every day. And if you take the, the, the 20 to 30 year cost of that, 
is anywhere between five and seven hundred thousand euros per person over thirty years, or twenty grand a year. You know, and ten thousand of that is diesel, and five thousand of that is is actual liters of diesel. So I think that the the road freight I'm concerned about is is the highly inefficient commuter traffic that could perhaps move migrate onto the railway lines in the future or be employed in a local more well developed economy. Mm-hmm. Caroline, as was looking at the overall report as well, there seems to be common themes coming out. People are looking for more detail and particularly on where that expenditure is going to go. But also, you've all kind of made a call there for immediate action. What would you like to see happening straight away with this plan? The decarbonisation element is very important, um, as well as increasing the frequency of services and increasing rail speeds. At the moment, at a European level, we have the lowest level of frequency. Journey times are higher than other countries as well so that needs to be changed and that can be done quite quickly now I know they they did order a new fleet last year and that will be delivered in 2026 so there is quite a a long turnaround time for delivery um, of new carriages and new trains Um, in terms of decarbonisation I mentioned looking at cleaner biodiesel Um, cargo trains in UK they looked at introducing hydro-treated vegetable oil, HVO, and this had no impact on performance. So if you're looking at 100% HVO, you'll see a reduction in CO2 emissions by 89%. And this is applicable to road freight as well as our, our trains. And then 20% HVO is an 18% reduction. Um, as I said, we're very fortunate in Leash. We're extremely well connected. Um, I travelled from Port Arlington to Dublin recently and I was in Dublin in less than 40 minutes. So it's a very attractive form of transport. Um, and it, it's just increasing that frequency and making conducive to people wanting to leave their car behind and use public transport. That's it. There's kind of a cultural or mindset mindset shift needed as well. Myself and Anthony spoke just before I came on air of our experience going to college probably 20 years ago or that. Trains were jammed. <laughs> trains were absolutely jammed. Not, not even standing room only. So there's a lot has to change. From your perspective, until more, what needs to happen quickly for this plan to convince people that this will actually happen? Well, I, I'd actually even go outside this plan, Ron, and like there's there's a lot of things that could be done with the timetables at the moment. Like we have we have people going up to Dublin and they, they can't they basically can't take the train. The last train comes back too early, so you can't get proper day's work done. A lot of people, uh, business people especially, would love to go up in the train, have their laptop, do a bit of work on the way up. Same on the way home, but it's not possible. And uh, the whole the whole um, timetable is just a mess, and that need, really needs to be looked at. That, they don't need any plan just to sit down and actually properly do a, do a schedule there. As I say, you know, there's students coming down on Friday evening, and the trains are absolutely packed. They could pawn a few more there, wouldn't you know? Wouldn't kill them. Um, I, I'd also mentioned they were chatting earlier about about Taylor Swift, and uh, I know you're a big fan, Ronan, and, and uh, Coldplay. Like again, if you you get tickets there next year, you cannot actually go up and come home on the train. Like that's that's shocking, you know what I mean? Like how many, you know, talking about de- decarbonisation, how many cars are going up to Dublin for them concerts? It's just, it's just ridiculous. And actually, another thing you can add to that is, if say within five, ten years, if we meet all the targets that are set out for electric vehicles, where do those vehicles park? Where do they all charge if they need it as well? There's huge infrastructural challenges coming. And yes, I am a bit of a Swifty. I saw her about five years ago. <laughs> At the concert where they were giving out tickets by the bucket load because she wasn't as popular as she is now. She's so popular now, apparently, she has caused the spike in the American economy for her latest tour. Like, it's bizarre. Uh, of course, Mullingar is going to get a similar uh, boost for music with the flag oh, yeah. very shortly. John, just briefly <coughs> to yourself before we wrap it up, um, what would you like to see yeah. happening immediately with this plan again to convince stakeholders in Mullingar that it's going to be delivered upon? 
Um, I, I, I would have no confidence whatsoever in Arrow there. And, you know, I've personally been on the train for 30 years. You, it's terrific. Like they, they, They've got four or five carriages from Mullingar to Dublin. I hate to talk negatively about it, but it's something we've campaigned on for a long time and got absolutely nowhere. So it's it's a company without any vision whatsoever. And that's why I'd be calling on, on a strategic appointment of key directors of the board of the company to drive an agenda forward um, on this issue. Um, and the, the, the real improvements will be massive over time. One concern I'd have is there's no mention in the report about technological transformation. And a big thing that may happen in the next 10 to 12, 15 years is autonomous cars and autonomous vans and buses. And if they're driven by, let's say, an electric vehicle motor or a hydrogen motor, um, you're going to have another mode of transport competing with trains. So you could end up in a situation like they had when they started building the canals 200 years ago till rail came along and overtook it. So I think you need to be careful there because technology is moving so fast. So there may be a ban working from an office in any any situation where it's not needed. Make us all work from home and sure we'll solve all the problems. John, listen, as always, thank you so much for your input on that. Uh, always appreciated. That's John Gagan from Mullingar Chamber. And a big thank you to, to Anthony Hannafy from Tullamore Chamber and indeed Caroline Hoffman from Leash Chamber Alliance. Thank you both for coming over this evening. Um, hopefully that has been of interest to you as well. I'd love to know your thoughts on that. Strategic Rail Review 083 103 the text or WhatsApp number. Um, lots to cover in that report, but you probably gather from this evening's contributors a lot of scepticism as to whether it can be delivered. Certainly lots more detail needed in some key areas of it and maybe long-term questions. What also jumps out is we're looking at a system that is in bad need of investment. I think we've all known that for quite a while with some of the tracks probably being 100 years old. And we know that single-line tracks through a lot of our main stations don't really service and serve our customers or give a viable option for freight there as well. We got the perspective of Aidan Flynn from the Freight Transport Association too. Again, uh, worth to listen back tomorrow when the podcast is put up and uh, compare that to what you will read in the report as well. Uh, thank you to all the contributors for this evening. Time now for a quick break. After that, I'm going to introduce you to an amazing and inspirational business person from County Leash. Do you need treatment or surgery? There's no need to wait or travel abroad. Receive treatment at Kingsbridge Private Hospital in Belfast or Ballykelly under the Northern Ireland Planned Healthcare Scheme at potentially no cost. Why wait? Text hello to 51777 or visit kingsbridgeprivatehospital.com for further information. Taking care of business. With thanks to the local enterprise offices of Leash, Offaly and Westmeath. Find us on localenterprise.ie and let's talk business. As business owners, we constantly speak about the challenges that exist when we are in business over the last couple of years, global pandemics, lockdowns. Now we're talking about the loss of talent in a highly competitive labour market, rising cost of doing business, increased labour costs with more costs likely to come, more increased costs likely to come as well. But the biggest challenge presented to growing a business can often be a very different one. It can often be presented by your health and be, be a physical health challenge. Well, Alexandra Ryan is the founder of Flower Child, a natural aromatherapy brand based at Turra Lodge Farm in Ballagmoyler, County Leash. Alex started blogging about her passion for gardening and promoting positive mental health during the early stages of the pandemic. What emerged, though, was her own business, producing aromatherapy products on the family farm. But there is much, much more to the story, as Alex has been dealing with a significant health challenge since her early teens, a challenge which required a major brain operation earlier this month. I caught up with Alex earlier today and she began by talking about Flower Child and the products that she produces. Um, I have a, a total of four core products in five different fragrances. But what I've done then is I have arranged and packaged them in different ways to make a total of um, a 30 product catalogue. So it's kind of a diverse catalogue now that people can get tailored products to suit their own kind of mental health needs or their 
physiological needs, depending on what aromatherapy benefits they want to gain. From. Across your website and indeed across your many blogs as well, you speak about how things like gardening and indeed aromatherapy is a passion of yours and a hobby. It takes a lot for somebody to take something like that though and turn into a business. When, when did that idea first plant itself in your head and, and you actually looked at saying, well, there's potential, there's a gap in the market here and something that I can fill? So um, how the idea of getting into aromatherapy actually came to me was a friend of mine during the pandemic. I was struggling with my mental health and struggling to engage with uh, my college course online. So she gave me a gift of aromatherapy oils that were blended to kind of one for focus, one for relaxation. Um, There was a couple of different ones in the set. And I started to use them just of my own accord um, to try and help with getting through um, the mental health struggles I was dealing with at the time. And then from there, I kind of like saw the benefits firsthand and I was like, oh, wow, like this is something I can do um, and share with others. So it started that I was just making um, products for friends and things like that. Um, and from there, it literally just kind of happened. I was enjoying the creative side of developing new products and uh, toying around with formulas. Um, and then it happened naturally that it was people were interested in wanting them. And that's kind of how it all came to market was I was like, oh, this is an option for me. Um, that I could make it into a business that could sustain the lifestyle I wanted and could also um, support the fact that I wanted to share the benefits of gardening, the benefits nature has to offer with other people. So it happened quite organically for me, which I know doesn't happen often, but I am lucky in that respect. And did it take long in terms of actually developing those products and, and you know, fine tuning the recipes in order to make it a saleable product? I was about 12 months in research and development um, and then I was featured on a show, an RTE show, Ireland Garden Heroes, um, which kind of um, I spoke a lot about my garden on there um, and shared the benefits of mental health um, and physical health from gardening. Um, so there was a little rush towards the finish line. The last kind of two months was a little bit of like kind of all hands on deck, kind of trying to get them to um, a launchable product in terms of getting the website up and running and things like that. Um, but in total, it was kind of, I'm going to say 12 months of toying around with my formulas and everything because I wanted to make sure whatever products I was launching were products I was proud of, I could stand behind 100%. Um, and I wanted to achieve from the get-go, I wanted to achieve a product that was a very strong fragrance that had um, a very like noticeable impact. So that's why we've developed... Um, so I work with one of my friends as a pharmaceutical scientist. So she actually has helped me with the development of the formulas along the way. But 12 months would still be a very, you know, a relatively short runway in terms of actually getting a new product developed and getting out to market as well. Your primary ways in the market, is it all generally true online or do you have stockists around the country at this point? So I started just online. I actually originally started with Etsy and then quickly shifted over to my own website. Um, but at the moment now, in the last six months, I have achieved um, 13 stockists. Uh, so retailers that are selling them. So like in store, you can actually go and shop. And I think that's more suited to the nature of my business as it's a fragrance business. You want to pick it up and you want to be able to experience it in store. So um, that has been very beneficial to me. Well, it takes a certain amount of expertise and a huge amount of drive to, to achieve something like that as well, to have an idea for a business, to develop the products, get them out to market as well, and to be doing like you're doing, you know, getting stockists all around the country as well, as well as offering that online offering as well. And I think what people will be probably really you know surprised to hear is that you've done all this 
and really you've had a number of significant health challenges. Um, you were first, according to a recent blog you put out there, you were first diagnosed with frontal lobe epilepsy at the age of 11 and first had brain surgery at 13. What was that like when you think back to that time as well and what impact had it on you as you grew up? So it's only recently that I've actually become so aware of what it was like at that time because obviously I've experienced surgery surgery recently as well. But um, to think back of what it was kind of like first time round, it has definitely shaped my entire life um, in terms of um, what education path I chose, what career path I chose, things like that. Um, It was definitely um, a time of a lot of fear um, and despair in terms of when it first happened to me. So between the ages of 11 and 13, um, I actually was misdiagnosed. So they couldn't actually see on the scans that I was receiving, they couldn't actually see um, the mass in my brain in the frontal lobe. So what was actually causing the epilepsy. And then when I met a new doctor at the age of 13, um, he was able to diagnose me and identify where the seizures were originating. And then within a matter of weeks, he uh, arranged surgery for me. And from there, it changed my life drastically. So beforehand, I was experiencing about 40 tonic-clonic or grand mal seizures, so the convulsive seizures, um, every day um, and also throughout my sleep. So I wasn't exactly living a life in those years. I was I was just surviving. Um, and then my life drastically changed after surgery, so it reduced the amount of seizures. Um, I was only having partial seizures, drop attacks, and then nocturnal seizures. And I know I say that like lightheartedly, like I was only having these, but for me, it was such a difference in what I had previously experienced that it was absolutely life-changing for me. So it just meant like I could get back to living as a child. Like I was only 13, so I could get back to making friends. I could get back to like uh, going back out into the garden on my own and being safe. I could um, start to explore like what my hobbies actually were because I had, like I said, I was merely surviving before surgery. Um, So that was definitely life-changing. But what I really appreciate from it is um, I don't think I would be where I am today without it because it gave me the perspective of I knew from a young age that my work would always have to be adaptable for me. So I would I was always looking at working for myself, owning my own business because I knew it was adaptable in a way that if it was a case that my health was suffering or my health changed, that I could take a step back and um, I could take a break if I needed. I could adjust the workings of the company to suit my physical needs. Um, so that's why what actually inspired me to pursue being a business owner and an entrepreneur as well. That's incredible. I think many a person that would put them off and make them think the opposite way, but it's an absolute credit to you. But I'm going to bring you forward then to January of this year and your health took a little bit of a turn for the worse once again and you found yourself back in, in A&E and uh, that led to your most recent surgery, which was only a couple of weeks back. Yeah, so um, I was... Um, Last year, I have to say, I was at the best point in my life. I was um, thriving in terms of like uh, my mental health and the business had started kind of like I was putting all my energy in there. Um, And then November approached and my health started to change. So I started to experience the same types of seizures that I was experiencing the first time around. 
So I went from being able to um, work as normal, work away, uh, go out at the weekends with my friends, uh, living a normal kind of social life, work-life balance. And then um, my health gradually got worse and I started experiencing seizures um, during the day. So obviously that was affecting my work life. Um, but I was in a position where I was able to adapt um, my work schedule and my like kind of work systems to be able to cater for that. But then what happened in January was I experienced um, a tonic-clonic seizure during my sleep. So it was a very um, aggressive seizure. Um, they don't know how long I w- was in the seizure, but what had happened was my dad came in to wake me the next morning. He noticed I wasn't up and ready for work. So he came in to wake me. And um, then what happened was he found me in a tonic-clonic seizure. So they do assume I was in the seizure all night long. Um, and when they gave me the emergency medicine uh, to stop the convulsions, I was then left non-responsive. So the paramedics were called. I was rushed to any, um, spent uh, some time in Resus in Kilkenny Amy, um, to where I was then moved to a high dependency ward. So that happened on the Monday um, and I regained consciousness on the Thursday. Wow. So from there I was left with a brain injury. So I, my comprehension was terribly affected. That obviously impacted my work. So things like I couldn't read an email and fully comprehend what I was actually reading. My memory was very, very um, affected. So my short-term memory. But both of these uh, brain injuries recovered quite quickly, as in like within two months, I was kind of back to being myself. But what had happened was the, the seizures had, sorry, the seizures had spiraled out of control. So I was on very high doses of medication, but they weren't, they still weren't controlling my seizures. So I was experiencing up on 50 seizures a day. So it was kind of rushed to get me through the whole process of getting me to uh, this stage where I could receive surgery. Um, but this time around, we knew it was a risky surgery. So the first surgery I received when I was 13, um, they didn't remove all the cortical dysplasia because it was so close to my motor center in my brain. Whereas this time, I knew the risks going in. I knew they were um, going to be operating very close to my motor center. Um, But the risk for the reward for me, I was willing to take that risk this time around. So um, I went ahead with surgery um, just three weeks ago. Um, I'll be three weeks out of surgery tomorrow, I think. Um, And what I was left with after surgery was, so the whole risk was the weakness of my left side. Um, from where they were operating. But what I've been left with is um, the use of my left arm is um, very reduced. I say reduced because it is still working. It is, it's not paralyzed or anything like that. It's a case of the neural pathways need to be rebuilt over the next coming months. But as of now, I'm currently just dealing with a floppy arm. Physio can improve that, and I hope to regain function in terms of like um, getting full movement back um, of the arm and hand. Um, but as of now, I'm left in a stage where I can't fully operate my company. Like 
I'm manufacturing all my products at home. Um, so when it comes to things like um, pouring the wax, mixing the wax, uh, packaging products even, um, there's certain things I can't do with only one hand. So that is where um, the kind of the problem has arisen. But I have to say I'm lucky enough to be surrounded by people um, that are willing to help, willing to pitch in and get me by. Absolutely. Um, and you, you are, as you said, you're, you're only three weeks post-surgery as well. And I'm sure there's a there still is a recovery period and a rehabilitation period ahead of you. But it's I'd say people will be quite staggered and amazed to hear that you're, you're, you're on talking to me three weeks after the surgery. <laughs> and if people just check out your social media there, your blogs, like they will see the full extent of the of the scar and the wound that, that you have on your head. Like and it's it's a credit to you to be able to come and tell your story too and undoubtedly it's going to help many business people who are facing significant health challenges as well and I mean the one thing that really jumps out is like it's not stopping you you're you know you're talking now about packaging and about pouring products in order to keep the business going as well and not only that but as of yesterday you started the Enterprise Ireland New Frontiers phase two Yeah so one thing I have always I think I made an agreement with myself years ago that I would not let my health define me so even throughout the past six months, the past six months, the company has grown more than it has in the past year. Um, and that is from me choosing to refuse to let my health define me and focus on what I can control, what is within my reach and focusing all my energy on essentially building my dream and continuing to pursue the company. So yeah, I did start the New Frontiers program yesterday um, that was amazing to meet. I've now met everybody else on the program. Um, it is a place that is full of new, new ideas. And I really enjoyed that because I like to meet different people that are on different paths. But like that, three weeks post-surgery, please don't tell my surgeon I'm on a, <laughs> on a new Frontiers course. <laughs> okay. we'll, 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 we'll take a chance that him or her aren't actually listening anyway. But no, it's, it's a credit to you. And I'm sure like I, I, I know the program too. I'm sure people will, will they'll support you through that as well. Alex, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, thank you for coming on and introducing Flower Child to us, but also in telling your story. Um, it's a powerful story. And I say there's more to come on it. And uh, really looking forward to seeing where things develop over the, the next couple of years. Alex, thank you so much. You can follow Alex Thank you so much, on Flower Child, flower-child.ie or she's on regular socials there at Flower Child Ireland and you can follow her blogs and indeed her business and order some of her products if you want them. Um, fantastic story. What an amazing person. And again, thank you to Alex for talking to me earlier this evening as well and all the very best in both her recovery and her business as she moves forward. Time for a quick break. After that, Accenture are about to let go up to 800 people. Um, will that have potential implications for the Midlands in a positive way? Find out after this. Taking care of business. With thanks to the local enterprise offices of Leash, Offaly and Westmead. Find us on localenterprise.ie and let's talk business. Accenture has announced that it will lay off 890 people from its offices up in Dublin. This comes in the back, of course, of major announcements of layoffs from the likes of Meta, Microsoft, Stripe, Google, Salesforce and X or Twitter, whatever you want to call them now. Will that present though, any opportunities for the Midlands region, particularly as some talent becomes available in the market? Yasmin Alkershi is the marketing manager at All Pro Recruitment. Yasmin, what's your view on that? Well, I think it's kind of, it's well, it, reading between the lines, look, Accenture would be a consulting company and they consult to the likes of Google, Microsoft, Salesforce for a lot of those companies that have announced um, uh, redundancies, which means they probably have to grow their staff in line with um, the software companies. I think the big thing here is that 
and um, most of those big companies were paying for um, tech staff were paying 30% above the market average which makes it really difficult for small to medium companies to compete so this could be the great equaliser we'll say you know salary is the number one motivation to move jobs in 2023 so I mean, I think in terms of there being jobs available, there's lots of jobs available still in the tech industry. We know that um, from various different indicators, but they might not be um, able to get the salaries that they had before, the tech people. But then maybe there's more to offer because we constantly hear that the work-life balance or the quality of life that we can offer in the Midlands, I suppose, bear in mind, a lot of these people could actually be living in Lee Shoffley, Westmead. So will that be enough maybe to entice Mm -hmm. people back down? Yeah, well, totally. And then don't forget, like, so it's salary is the number one um, thing, but then fully remote c- conditions are second, you know, so <laughs> as much remote work as possible. But I think so. I mean, we all think that the Midlands is a great place to live and work. Um, that's why we live and work here, right? <laughs> Absolutely. I'm shouting about it every Tuesday evening here, as, as you will well know. Um, but see, like we're Minister for Enterprise, Trade and Employment, Simon Coveney. They're going to get the department to intervene there and see how those people are going. So time is coming maybe for our local organisations to get involved and just see who exactly is available and how we could help grow their businesses. Yeah, and a very interesting fact that I read today, and I think it's just brilliant, is 28 days is the average length of time that someone looks for work. So I think like if you're a small to medium business and you were looking for tech people, you need to get on it as soon as possible and make yourself as attractive as possible to those tech people. Absolutely, and companies like AllPro can certainly help in that. AllProRecruitment.ie. Yasmin, as always, thank you so much for that. That's probably the shortest interview AllPro has ever done, but uh, thanks for that. I will catch up <laughs> with you again shortly. Such is the way we've covered so much on the show this evening from that strategic rail review Right up to the fantastic story there from Alexandria Kelly in Leash. We've had a number of texts in from you saying, like, what an amazing person, what a fantastic young girl. She'll be so proud of herself and wish her all the very best in, in health and business as she goes forward. Absolutely no better words could I say myself. Thank you for listening. I'll catch up with you next Tuesday from 7pm. Joe's here next with Country Roads after News at 8. Taking care of business returns next Tuesday at 7pm with the local enterprise offices of Leash, Offaly and Westmeath. Find us on localenterprise.ie and let's talk business.